David's prayer and that we just want to hear from you today and I just ask that you make these words yours. Uh, I feel it's an important message. It may not be one that we think we should hear, but we all need to hear it, God, and nothing is, nothing is wrong in your word. Every piece of your word is truth that we should apply to our lives. So use me however you see fit. Make the words be yours. Make everything that comes from me be of you, God. Take me out of the picture and use me how you see fit. And finally, we just ask that you continue to just, just fill this place with your presence and your Holy Spirit, God, because if you're here, then nothing else matters. And if you aren't here, then nothing else matters, God. So we welcome you and we invite you in this place today. We pray all these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. And together as a church, we'll just say amen. So if you've been with us for a while, you know we are about halfway through our study of the book of Ruth. Um, and, and just as a matter of quick refresher, we met this family, uh, Naomi, Elimelech, and his two sons. Remember their names? Sick and tired. That's right. Sick and tired. Elimelech, my God is my king. Naomi, sweet, uh, beautiful, and their sons sick and tired. And they went from Bethlehem to Moab, a place that God forbade. And uh, three of the men died. Elimelech and his two sons died, left Naomi with two uh, widowed daughter-in-law. She said, stay here, have Moabite families, live your Moabite life. I'm going back to Bethlehem. She turned her back on what was wrong and turned her face toward what was right. And Ruth said, oh, no, I'm not letting you go by yourself. I am going with you. And they left, hopeless, helpless, arrived in Bethlehem. And last week we learned that while the model of Ruth and the model of Boaz are good things to look for in someone, the almost as important thing is that if we want to find our Ruth, men, we need to pray that God makes us a Boaz. And if we want to find our Boaz, ladies, we need to pray that God can make us a Ruth. Because it works both ways. Now, this week, we're in chapter 3. Everybody say chapter 3. And this is where it starts to get a little weird. And I got to tell you, quite honestly, the more I prepared, the more I studied, the more I made this message kind of take some life, the more I listened to God, (laughs) the weirder it just got. And I'm sorry. You're going to have to bear with me. It's a little weird. God's word sometimes is a little weird and a little hard for us to understand, but that doesn't make it any less important. Remember Ruth, this poor widow, last week we left her. She's gleaning in the field. Just so happens she gleans in a field that belongs to a man of standing, a godly landowner named Boaz. And the last thing we read in God's word last week was that Boaz asked Ruth, to go on a date, right? Boaz asked Ruth to go have some lunch. He's like, come join me for lunch with the harvesters. He says, eat, drink, have everything you want. This first date they had together was amazing. Sparks were flying. He made her laugh. She made him laugh. They're telling little jokes. She made him feel proud. There was no awkward silence in there. Anybody ever been on one of them dates where you just kind of sit and stare at somebody? And you're like, uh, we've been watching this show. We've been watching this show called Love on the Spectrum, which is an amazing show, by the way. I recommend it to everybody. But, but I feel like when I remember my dating life, I feel exactly like that, just sitting there in awkward silence wondering what to say. But there was none of that. None of that. Boaz and Ruth got along, you know, and she finished his sentences. He finished her sentences. They had butterflies in their stomach. And then after the date, nothing. He ghosted her. Ever happened to anybody? He ghosted her. 
ghosted her. No follow-up call, no little text, it was a great date, hope to see you again. No, he didn't go out on her, he didn't follow her on the gram, didn't friend request her on Facebook. He wasn't asking around town, hey, did you see anything about Ruth? You know, is she talking about me? Because she liked me, liked me, didn't write her a note to say that if you like me, check yes or no. Didn't do any of that stuff. Seven weeks of harvest goes by, she hears nothing at all from Boaz. The harvest, in fact, is about to be over, and Ruth kind of starts panicking. She kind of wonders what's going on, questioning everything. She's reading more into it than she probably should. Did I overshare? Should I not have told him that I was from Moab? I mean, people frown on that whole Shemosh child sacrifice thing. Maybe I shouldn't have told him that, or maybe maybe I was in the fields all morning. Maybe I just stank, you know? I mean, maybe I need to take a shower, so maybe I shouldn't have been talking to him that way. Maybe I gave him the ick. Maybe I gave him the wrong idea, something like that. But Naomi has a secret weapon, or maybe we could think of it as maybe a secret detriment. I don't know. She's got a mother-in-law. Named, named Naomi, who is always opinionated and doesn't always give the best advice. Uh, but Naomi says to Ruth, and, and more or less, this is Pastor Chris' paraphrase, uh, Ruth, it's time for you to define the relationship. And we all come to this point. Look, I don't care whether you've been dating somebody for a couple of weeks a couple of years. I don't care whether you've been married and things just aren't seeming to go the way they're supposed to be. There comes a point in time when we have to have that dreaded official talk. What's going on here? What is this relationship supposed to be? Are we moving forward? Are we just, you know, a little bit of, you know, la, 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 friends with benefits, as they call it now? What is the level of commitment? Is it just casual dating? Are we exclusive? You know, do we go public on social media? Is it a hard launch? You know, where we change our status to in a relationship with, or is it a soft launch? We just post a selfie of ourselves and then let people figure it out. Every relationship, new, old, really, really old, comes to that point where you have to make that decision. What is this relationship about? You've got to define the relationship, and that can be a pretty hard time in many lives if you've ever been there. If you've ever been in that place where you're kind of in limbo, you know, you've been talking to this guy or girl for months and you're like, what is next? Where's this going? What's going to happen? Or maybe you've been with somebody for like eight years and you're like, um, you know, my clock is ticking here, buddy. You know, I, I see people looking around. I'm not going to look at them and, and point anybody out here today. But <laughs> I had to watch like this because, you know. We've all been there. And today I would like to show us how we can navigate that season wisely. Everybody in for that? Everybody in for that? Good. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. ready. Naomi has a great idea, and I know what she's thinking in the back of her mother-in-law mind. She's like, it's time to get rid of Ruth. It's time to get Ruth out of my house and make her somebody else's responsibility. And this is where we pick up in chapter 3, verse 1. It says, one day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, my daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Subtext, where I don't have to take care of you. Somebody else can take care of you. i got to find a home where you will be well provided for. She's got an idea. Now, Boaz, all comes back to Boaz, whose women you have worked, uh, whose women, with whose women you have worked. Did my mic just go off? Is it back on? All right. With whose women you have worked is a relative of ours. Tonight, he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Now, this is an invitation everybody wants to hear. 
that person you're interested in, there'll be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Anybody ever gone to meet somebody winnowing barley on the threshing floor? Most of us don't even know what that means. <laughs> it's not a euphemism, by the way. It is not a euphemism. It's not. He was literally winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Now, let me just give you a little bit of idea what that means, just so that you don't think I'm giving you pulling your leg. At the end of the harvest, they would take all of the shafts, the sheaves of wheat, barley, whatever they were, whatever they were picking, they would come to a place called the threshing floor. It was usually in the field, a raised area, big round place with some walls about this high around it, hard floor. And what they would do is they would just beat the crap out of these sheaves of barley, wheat, whatever it was. And so what would happen is the west wind, because the west wind was always coming at the time of the end of harvest, the west wind would pick up all the dust, all the junk, all the stuff that didn't belong, and blow it off the threshing floor. And then all the good stuff, the seeds, the wheat, the barley, would fall down inside that threshing floor. And this is how they knew how much profit they made. This is how they knew how much money they were going to get for their harvest that year. And this was a big deal, especially now, because remember... Bethlehem had gone through several decades of famine. This is how we got into this story in the first place. There was a famine in Bethlehem. They left, went to Boaz, and now they come back. So the workers are like having their, their payday party, threshing all this wheat on the threshing floor. And Naomi's got this strategy. She's like, she's like Ruth, Boaz is going to be there. He's going to be threshing that wheat. It's going to be a big harvest. He's going to be a good mood. He's going to be primed and ready. And here's, here's what we're going to do. She tells Ruth. She says this. This is her instructions to Ruth, by the way. She says, Ruth, first, wash. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I've given my kids a lot of advice for dating, but the first words out of my mouth was never wash. Make sure you don't stank. Put on some perfume, get dressed in your best clothes, then go down to the threshing floor. But don't let him know you're there until he finished eating and drinking. That's some pretty good advice, huh? It's weird. It's weird. Last time Boaz saw Ruth, I'm sure Naomi's like, girl, you were a hot mess. You had dirt under your fingernails. Your hair was looking all ratty. I want you to show him your glow up. I want you to get in your best fit. I want you to put on the Bethlehem Blossom perfume. I want you to go down to that threshing floor, and I want you to stalk him. Don't let him know you're there. Just hide in the bushes for a while. I told you it was weird. I get it. Don't just barge right in and be like, Boaz, we need to talk. Time to define this relationship, Boaz. She's like, no, let the man have his chicken wings. Let him have his drink. Let him have his little wine because you know why? This is a true story. All the men agree with me. Men are way happier and way more agreeable when we have a full stomach. Word. Come on, man. That's right. We are. We are. You feed us. You, you give us something to drink. You feed us. We're all sitting there in our turkey comas at Thanksgiving. You could ask anything you want. And I will do it. You want me to go out and rotate your tires one time? I'm like, okay. Okay. So this is what she tells him. She's going to be on the threshing floor, go down there, and stalk him for a while. And this is where things get really weird. Really weird because this is what Naomi says next. Verse 4. <clears throat> Y'all ready? When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. 
Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. Ruth says, I will do whatever you say. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. I have raised three kids. All of my children have dated at some point or another. And I got to tell you, I have never given this advice. I have never given this advice to my daughters. I've never given this advice to my son. She's like, go down there, wait till he goes to bed, slip in next to him, and uncover his feet. I told you it got weird. I mean, imagine if we gave that advice to our kids today. We'd be like, all right, here's what you're going to do. I already scoped it out. There's like three keg parties around town. You just find the one that you like. You go up there. You get a little tipsy. You get a little buzzed on. Then you go up to the first man you meet, and you'd be like, tell me what you want me to do. Do not give that advice to your kids. I do not recommend it. Do not. I don't advise you to do it. I wouldn't do it. And we got to think. You know, sometimes God's word is a little bit disguised in things. We got to think. Can, can, can Naomi really, uh, could that really mean what it sounds like it means? I mean, what in the world is Naomi actually asking Ruth to do? Lay down next to him, uncover his feet, and wait for him. And I did some research on this because that's my job. And there are uh, several lines of thought, several schools of thought on what is actually happening here. One of them says that this whole uncovering of the feet is a euphemism, not that kind of euphemism, people. It's a euphemism that says Ruth, uh, Naomi is advising Ruth to get to know him, engage in conversation, uncover who he is, his past, his likes, his dislikes. Does he like to walk on the beach? Does he like pina coladas? You know, all that kind of stuff. And that is the dumbest interpretation of this verse ever. Doesn't make sense. Some people suggest that Naomi is telling Ruth, to be a little aggressive. Get his attention. Go in there, girl, and be like, hey, I'm here. Others suggest that Naomi is advising Ruth to go in and to trust God's sovereignty, to trust Boaz's integrity, to put yourself in the right place at the right time so that the right God can make what God does happen. And I think I like this one, right? I think I like this one, that we should be putting ourselves in the right place at the right time. We know, Naomi tells Ruth, right? If we're moving forward, you got you to gotta show him there's some potential here. He's your possible guardian redeemer. We'll get to what that means in just a little bit. But listen, here's some advice, and mostly for the women, but, but men, you can take this advice too. Um, some, some men need a little encouragement. And this is true. And the reason is, is because most of us are insecure man babies. It's truth. We are very fragile, even though we don't act like it. We sometimes fear commitment, not because we fear commitment, but because we don't like being rejected. And I'm sure women feel the same way. We all need a little bit of encouragement. We all need a little bit of a signal that, hey, maybe I'm interested in you. Now, I'm not saying be out there like, hey, I'm saying every once in a while, sometimes it's okay to let somebody know that there is an interest, to let somebody know that, you know, hey, I'm open to something. I remember when I first started dating Susie, 
I told you the story last week how God just so happened to put all these things in place. You know, my sister-in-law had a daughter, my son, skating party, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. But, but when we actually got around to having our first date, <clears throat> true story, uh, we actually got around to having our first date. I took her to, it's not even there anymore, it's right down there. It used to be called, I think it was called the Rock Creek Diner. It's across from the firehouse. There's like a dog grooming place or something in there now. I don't even know. But Rock Creek Diner, we go in there. Susie, cute as she is, orders her typical like salad with grilled chicken on it or something cute and dainty on her plate, right? Me, I like meat. Your boy likes to eat. So I noticed that on the menu there is a T-bone steak. And so I ordered it with all the sides, mashed potatoes, corn, coleslaw probably, because that's what I like. Food comes out. Her plate's all cute and dainty. And I swear to you, this is not a lie. The plate that that steak came on was that big around. And it filled the entire plate. And you know what your boy did? I ate it all. Fat, gristle. I was licking the bone. I ate all the mashed potatoes. I ate all the coleslaw. I ate all the corn. I can only imagine what Susie was thinking, having just met me. She's like, does this boy never eat anywhere else? I mean, come on. You're a pig. But you know what happened? She agreed to go on a second date with me. And that time I only ate half a pizza. We went to Uno's. I remember that date. I remember that date. She, she kind of gave me that encouragement. Yeah, you're a pig. I wouldn't have eaten that whole T-bone steak and licked the bone. And probably I licked the plague too. I don't even remember what happened. But sometimes we need a little encouragement. And let me be clear. Let me be clear. I don't want anybody to get the wrong idea here. This is weird what we're reading. And what we're reading is absolutely descriptive, not prescriptive. And what I mean by that is this is just God's account of what happened. This is the way it happened. It is not telling you what to do. It's not telling you to go out, find a man on the threshing floor, lay down next to him and uncover. He's not telling you to do that. It is descriptive. In my pastoral opinion, it is not the best plan. It is not the best advice. But we have to remember that the Bible is not made up. The Bible shows us real stuff that happened to real people who don't always get it right. People do dumb things. Susie and I have a great relationship now. You look at us right now and you'd be like, it's strong, it's biblical, it's God-centered, and that is all true. But that only happened after 23 years of marriage because in the beginning, blended family, it was rough. I had two kids by a previous marriage. We had Emily, and it was we made some stupid mistakes. We made decisions based on anger. We made decisions based on external influences in our family. We did things that were just dumb, but... But, but the reason God puts these things in his word is because of this. There is an encouraging truth here that even if you don't get it right, even if you make a mistake, even if your relationship right now isn't perfect, God can still make it right. No matter what you do, no matter where you're going, no matter what mistakes you've made, God in his infinite power and infinite wisdom can always make it right. So if you're in a relationship right now that's like all jacked up and you're wondering where is this going or I, I, maybe I made mistakes, maybe I you know, gave the milk away too fast, I don't know what it is, you're in a relationship that you're just questioning 
and you made some mistakes. We have a redemptive God, and that redemptive God says, I already knew what you were going to do, and I still love you. I still sent my son for you. You are still redeemed. You are still covered by grace. You are still covered by mercy, and this is an amazing truth for all of us. Now, it doesn't give you permission to be dumb. But if we are, God is still good. And God still shows us grace. And God still shows us mercy. And that should be encouragement for all of us. Now, if that is encouragement, which I believe it is, hold on, because the story is about to get weirder, folks. In verse 7, we read this. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Now, I I don't even know why the guy would choose to sleep on his grain. I don't get it. Doesn't he have a house? Doesn't he have a bed? I don't know. But he's, he's laying on the grain. And Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you, he asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of my family. There's that word again, guardian redeemer. So let me just give us an idea of what that, what that is. A guardian redeemer was a Jewish edict, a Jewish law back in the old, old days that a relative, there was a relative in your family who had the responsibility and privilege to provide for a family member in a time of need. It was kind of God's way of making sure that family was taken care of. And usually, this plays out in the form of a widow. So someone's husband dies, their brother, that husband's brother, is what's called the guardian redeemer. It is his right and responsibility to take care of the widow. Now, in Ruth's case, she was a widow. She was of the family of Elimelech by marriage. So there was this guardian redeemer relationship between Boaz and Ruth at some level. At some level, he was a potential guardian redeemer. He was a potential suitor, a potential husband. He wasn't related to her, so it's not like incest and bad and all that kind of stuff. But he wasn't the closest guardian redeemer. He was like way down in the chain. There was somebody else at least up in the middle. But Ruth says to him, spread the corner of your garment over me. And that's a great picture of her asking Boaz, would you cover me? Would you be my spiritual covering? In my time of need, would you be the person who redeems me from this place I'm in? Sounds a lot like Jesus, doesn't it? Is Ruth proposing? I don't know. Is she suggesting that Boaz proposed? Maybe. But sometimes, look, sometimes we need to help each other out in relationships if we're going to move forward. It can't always be one-sided. It can't always be all me, not you, all you, not me. Sometimes we need to help each other out. It's okay to set expectations. It's okay to talk about goals. It's okay to talk about your future. It's okay after eight years of dating each other to be like, are we ever going to get married? Can we put a pencil date on the calendar right now? It's okay after three, four, five months of having great conversation and getting along together to say, where is this going? What are the expectations here? Because you know what? There might be somebody else waiting out there somewhere, and you're missing them. It's okay to set those expectations sometimes. We need to help each other out in those relationships. Even if you're married, sometimes marriages can get to this point where they're really far off track. 
And sometimes we just assume that because we're married, everything's going to work itself out. But it won't. Sometimes we need to come together and discuss what is this all about. Sometimes we need to define that relationship. Boaz is in good spirits. She's by his bed. She grabs his covers. She stays the night. And I know what you're all wondering. Did they do it? They did not. And I will show you why in a moment, but it does raise the question. And look, I'm talking to the single people here, and I don't talk about this very often, but I got to tell you what's in God's word. It raises the question, how far is too far? How far in a relationship is too far? Because what culture says and what society says is way outside the bounds of what God says. And I can tell you that. And we get a clue to this in Song of Songs, uh, chapter 8, verse 4. Solomon, uh, who we assume wrote Song of Songs, says this, Promise me, O women of Jerusalem, not to awaken love until the time is right. Now, this is not just towards women. It could say, Promise me, O people of Jerusalem, not to awaken love until the time is right. That is not to be understood as don't go seek a boyfriend or a love interest until the time is right. That means awaken love. How far is too far when your body awakens to love, when your body kind of gets into launch sequence, when your body starts preparing, when juices start flowing, and if you're not understanding what I'm saying, turn to the person next to you and maybe they can explain it. When your body starts to prepare and can't stop, that is too far. You are too close to the line, too close to the line. You need to step back, stay as far away as possible. And this is good advice in lots of places. I remember I was cutting my grass one year, and uh, right in the front of my yard, I noticed that there was a hole. And as I got closer, I noticed there was this big old snapping turtle. Must have been a female snapping turtle. She had dug a hole and was laying her eggs there for the season. Now, I had two choices. I could have gone over and been all like, let me just pick up this snapping turtle and move them over to where the wetlands are, and I would be okay. But you know what? I know from being a kid and sticking a stick in the mouth of a snapping turtle that you do not want to get near a snapping turtle. I I like my fingers. It's really hard to play piano and guitar without all of your fingers. And so I stayed away as far as possible because I knew there was danger. This is the advice that Scripture gives us. Stay away. Do not awaken those feelings until the time is right. And I know that's not what most people want to hear today but that's what the word says and i gotta say it like it is now when is the time right the bible's really clear on this the bible says that the right time for sexual relations is under the covenant of marriage and look i know that's old-fashioned i I know it's out of touch i know we live in a hit it and quit it society I know there's this whole friends with benefits thing. I know that this is a big deal out there in the world, but we don't live in that world, folks. Children of God live in a different world. We represent a different set of morals and standards. And look, that's what God ordained. The the, the sexual relations between man and a woman represents a union that God joins together in marriage. And so that's just the way it is. Look, if we want what everybody else has, 
we can go ahead and do what everybody else does. But if you want something better, if you want a relationship that is built on something different, then we have got to do something different. We have got to do something better. Boaz treats Ruth honorably. He doesn't push anything she doesn't want on him. He respects her purity. And we know this because in verse 11, it says this. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. Remember, she's asking him to be the guardian redeemer. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. He hasn't besmirched her character at all. In fact, he wants the people of the town to know she is upright, and he hasn't done anything to hurt that. Ruth has declared her love for Boaz, and now Boaz says, I'm all in. We can make it Facebook official now. Full send. And that's good news. Now they can get married right. Now they can live happily ever after. Now they can have their little, you know, Boaz-Ruth children. Not yet. Because there's a problem. And the problem we've already kind of talked about, it says, although it, this is Boaz speaking, although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. There's one closer up the food chain to Ruth. It's his first responsibility to be the guardian redeemer. So Boaz says, stay here for the night. And in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good, let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. So stay here until morning. There's an obstacle. There's always obstacles in relationships, right? We come across obstacles in our relationships all the time. There's another guy who has the legal right to be a guardian redeemer. Now, Boaz loves Ruth. It's not like Boaz is just doing this out of duty. He wants to be the one who is her mate, her, her partner, her, her guardian redeemer in the world. And next week, we're going to figure out how we resolve this issue, how Boaz you know, kind of overcomes this obstacle. But, but I want to highlight the principle that's going on right here. If the person you are pursuing or in a relationship with will do what it takes to get you, they should also do what it takes to keep you. Because Boaz and Ruth formed this relationship. And Boaz is like, I'm going to do everything right in God's eyes. I'm going to go out and I'm going to make sure that this guy doesn't say he wants to be your guardian redeemer before we get married, before we do anything, before we even go down that path. He is doing whatever it takes to make sure that their relationship is built on, on, on foundation that honors God. If he's willing to do, if she's willing to do whatever it takes to get you and we do all kind of dumb things right men we actually put on good clothes and cologne we cut our hair we don't eat entire t-bone steaks in one sitting at dinner women you're the same way you dress up you put on your good perfume you put on your high heels and then you know when we get married and get in that relationship we got you know at home sweats and going out sweats <laughs> the only difference is one got a big old hole down the side right I'm with it. You know, I love my fat pants. I love to go home and put on my fat pants and just sit around, you know. We kind of get lazy, but we've got to always be working in that relationship to do what it takes for our partner. We've got to be that Ruth. We've got to be that Boaz. And so we're in this kind of to be continued. But listen, we have not gone here without learning some really important lessons. And I just want to review what we've learned before we kind of summarize this and put us in a wait state until next week. The first thing is this. Sometimes we have to put ourselves in the right place in order to meet the right person. This is true in everything we do, right? There are, there are good places and not so good places. Uh, you know, you, you might start attending your small groups and instead of 
going to the parties. I don't know what it is for you. Not saying that you can't meet somebody who you can spend your life with at a party or on, you know, Match.com or whatever it is. But sometimes we got to put ourselves in the right place because that's where God has the right person for us. We've also learned that we cannot overlook those people who are right in front of us. Boaz was right there. And Ruth could have been like, oh, I'm just going to work for him in his fields. I'm going to glean from his fields. I'm going to do all that kind of stuff. But no, she's like, maybe this is the guy. And sometimes the person that is right for us is right there. Maybe they've been in the friend zone for a long time. And you're like trying to chase somebody else down and you're missing who God's got for you. Sometimes that person is right in front of you. We've also learned that sometimes you have to go after what you want. This is not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing to let people know I'm interested. Again, don't be all like, hey. But it's okay to say, look, I like you. And I think there's a future here. But we've got to define this and see what's going on. We've also learned this, and this is huge. Even if you don't get it right, God can still make it right. Even if you started your relationship on the wrong path, the way of the world, God can still make that relationship a relationship that honors him. And here's the final thing I want us to understand. If you want a marriage that honors God in the future, then we need to be living a life that honors God today. In our relationships, in our single life, in our personal life, if we want anything that honors God in the future, we start by honoring God today. And for those of us in relationship, that means don't get too close to the line. Because when you start standing at that line and one thing happens, it doesn't take much to fall off. It doesn't take much to go over. We want what honors God, we've got to stay away from that line. We've got to stay away from it. And so how do we summarize this? How do we bring it home? Because I don't have a great conclusion to this story because we're going to get to that next week. But what we do know is this. Spiritually, Boaz wants to be Ruth's guardian redeemer. He loves her. He wasn't obligated to care for Ruth. He did it because he loves her. He wasn't a brother to her husband. She was a Moabite. Not from Bethlehem, but because he loved her, he chose to make a sacrifice for her. And listen, folks, if you're not willing to make a sacrifice or more or more again and again for the person you're in a relationship with, if they're not willing to make a sacrifice for you, maybe it's time to define that relationship. But here's the amazing thing about this. Ruth's one decision to leave Moab. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. And Boaz's one decision to commit to Ruth out of love led to a marriage that resulted in their son being born whose name was Obed. And from the lineage of Obed, from that one decision on each part, that decision to honor God with everything they did, that decision to let God lead them together, from that one decision, the lineage of Obed, our guardian redeemer, our guardian redeemer, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the Lord of lords, the King of kings, the spotless lamb was born from that lineage and that decision. Isn't that an amazing thing? That's how God can work in any situation. And now, this kind of blew my mind. And maybe it'll blow your mind too. 
Because in the same way that Boaz, out of love, not out of obligation, decided to be Ruth's guardian redeemer, in that same way, Jesus becomes our guardian redeemer. He didn't have to. Look, God could have come up with any number of ways to bring us back into his into relationship with him. He didn't have to send Jesus. He didn't have to put a part of himself, bankrupt heaven, here on earth in human form to be tortured and hung on a cross and become the sin of the world. He didn't have to do that. He didn't have to do it. But because he loves us so much, he sent Jesus, our guardian redeemer, to take away the sin of the world. Your sin, my sin, forever past and forever present. And just like in our relationships in life, when there comes a point where we have to define that relationship, look, when it comes to us and Jesus, it's time to define the relationship. It's time to do a little DTR. Who is Jesus to you? Who is he? I mean, we all have a lot of head knowledge about who Jesus is. Maybe you think, well, he's just this really cool historical figure, cool guy, you know, kind of hippie. Wore some cool sandals, some Air Jesus. Walked around saying some cool stuff, throwing down some truth. Maybe he's just a guy you like. Or, Or what's more possible is that there's just a casual commitment between you and Jesus that kind of place where you know in the back of your mind that scripture says well once he once he redeems me I'm redeemed forever so I can pretty much go and live my life the way I want is that what he is to you or do you call him the lord of your life is he the filter through which you make every decision? Is he the filter through which you pursue every relationship? Is he the filter through which you live life and do life? Is he your Lord? Is he your Savior? Is he your Redeemer? Is he your King? Is he who he is supposed to be on the rightful throne in your life? Because look, what I don't want, I don't want anybody here to be missing all God has for them by just 18 inches. 18 inches, the space between your head and your heart because we can have all the head knowledge we want look we can we can say jesus is the son of god we can say god created the heavens and the earth we can say jesus rose again on the third day we can say jesus said all these cool words in red in the bible we can say i believe he is a real person that's head knowledge there comes a time when we have to move from that head knowledge to a heart relationship Because, listen, Jesus can't do what Jesus can do unless we put him there, unless we give him free reign, unless we say, take over everything that's inside, work on me, make me a Ruth, make me a Boaz, call me, call me out, God, because I know you set me apart when you call me a child of God. You have a plan for my life. There is something you want for me, and we need to get on our knees every day and say, Jesus, keep taking more space, keep taking more space. Everything that's in there that doesn't belong, Jesus, take it out, take it out, take it out. That's what he wants. It's time to define that relationship between you and Jesus. Don't miss it by just 18 inches. Don't. Don't. Because while a life led by Jesus 
may not be easier from the world standards. It'll be better from an internal standard, right? There is a peace that comes from that relationship that scripture says we can't even understand. The human brain cannot comprehend it. When you're going through a storm, when you are walking through the waves, when the winds are battering you, when, when, when you can't beat this depression, when you've tried to beat that addiction for years and years and years, when you're stuck in a relationship that you're not quite sure where it's going and you're like, am I wasting time or is this something that's there? When you're there in that space, God gives you a peace. God gives you his presence. He walks with you. He walks through it. He sometimes carries you through it. That's why we want him as the Lord of our life. Once we come to that place where he forgives our sin, we can start that relationship. And let me tell you what, life might not be easier, but it's certainly better. Certainly better. And I just want everybody to know Jesus that way. I know I'm a little selfish, but look, that's what we're here for. We are called. We are called to make disciples. And so as we do every week, we're going to close uh, with a time of uh prayer that you can, if you have never done this before, you can have Jesus become the Lord and Savior of your life. And so with all heads bowed, all eyes closed, we will pray. Jesus, I believe you are the Lord and Savior of the world. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross becoming my sin. Jesus, I believe you rose on the third day, defeating that sin and my separation from God. Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. Jesus, take up residence in my heart. I surrender. Thank you, Jesus. And Father God, First and foremost, for anyone who has made a decision to let Jesus be the Lord of their life in this place today, we thank you. We give you the glory. We know that you are celebrating right now. And we give you all the honor and all the praise and all the glory. But God, this is a message that doesn't just apply to our man-woman relationships. This is a message that can apply to our entire life because we all want a life that honors you, God. And sometimes that means making the hard choices. Sometimes that means following you when the world says following something else. So God, help us to rely on your word, to lean on you, and to let you be the king of our hearts. Because when we do that, You don't leave us. You never forsake us. You keep your promises. You are faithful. You provide. You give us a peace that we cannot understand. You fill our lives with a joy that is never ending, God. And that's what I want for everyone here. And I know that's what you want as well. And finally, God, we ask that you keep everybody healthy and safe until we meet again. And I pray all this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. And together as a church, we'll all say, Amen. If you um, have made a decision today, we would love to know about it. We would love to 
pray with you and get you involved uh, in a Bible-believing church, either here or someplace else if you're at home. You can just reach out to us via messenger, or you can just type it right in there. I did it, and we'll get in touch with you. Uh, I'll be available here for prayer. There'll be lots of people that can pray with you. If you just need prayer for anything else, find one of us, and we'll we'll pray for you for that. Uh, don't forget, 3 o'clock, if you want to watch the game on the big TV, come in here, join us. It'll be a good time of fellowship for everybody. Everybody's welcome, whether you're new, old, been here forever. If you're watching online, you're like, oh, I'd like to watch that Ravens game on the big screen. Come on down with us. We're going to be here. I love you.